Hello, everybody. Welcome to Optional Opinion here on Bosch Rush Games. I'm your host, ADV. Thank you guys for joining me. I apologize that it has been a long time that you guys got a new episode, but you kind of see me do multiple other podcasts and other things and everybody. Finally, I got a guest that I've been talking to that I haven't sent in questions. We haven't gone back and forth. He has appeared on the Boss Rush podcast and on Arsenal X, and now he's here on Optional because I finally get to talk to him live, not in person, but through Skype. But I'm so happy to have this guest on the show from uh, uh, Xbox Expansion Pass. He is the host, the one, the only, the inside ghost himself, Mr. Luke Lore. How are you doing, good sir? I am doing well. I am ready to argue with you. Uh, I am ready to to throw down the gauntlet on whatever topic we need to. Uh, and peek behind the curtain, guys. We've been talking for 15 minutes, arguing about this, that, and the other. So it, it's a good time to join you finally. Uh, you're so supportive of Xbox Expansion Pass, and uh, I am happy to be with you today. Thank you very much. And if you guys don't know what uh, X. Uh, uh, Xbox Expansion Pass is um, Luke's show is a one man podcast where he um, interviews guests and talk about different news and uh, take community questions to talk all things Xbox. Uh, I've been I've been sending in questions to make him think outside the box, and I'm so happy that the way that he responds is very intellectual and very thought out, and I just love hearing it and, and everything. But I had to get him on. Uh, this episode because he threw up a question and he said uh, does Sony's IP uh, if they were worth like what a hundred dollars or more or something uh, yeah yeah the question was essentially if is Sony's IP their first party slate worth paying a hundred dollars more to get a PlayStation 5 than say an Xbox Series X in that hypothetical world is their IP so strong that they're worth paying $100 more. And you could apply this to Nintendo or Xbox and, and mix and match however you like. But the premise of that question is uh, a testament to the power of IP and does IP sell systems. Which leads into today's topic, um, the strength of first party. Um, and I do got some notes and we're going to have a good general discussion because I was telling Luke, I was, I, I told Luke that I don't think Sony and Microsoft doesn't have it in answering his question. I think only Nintendo does. And as crazy as that sounds, and I know people are going to blow up about that. If you just take within this year, Animal Crossing has kind of... Animal Crossing has blew a lot of games out of the water, as in selling systems, as in still being showcased and talked about, because no one's talking about Doom, no one's talking about Final Fantasy VII Remake, um, no one's talking about uh, uh, Worry and and stuff like that, and some other games. Um, Xenoblade Chronicles is making some talk, but we'll see how long that goes. Um, let's see how The Last of Us 2 plays, because by the time this is recorded, the game is not out yet. Um, or it's just dropping and people are buying it. So, we're gonna, we're gonna go over some things with it. But yeah, but Animal Crossing could be contender for a game of the year. Let's see how long people continue to talk about it. And once more switches get into stock, I think that game is going to sell that system. If not, then it may be Ring Fit Adventure. But who knows? 
that's the power of first that's the power of first party sony does have some games uh but you know i made my answer about that and yes we will touch on the wii u because luke brought it up and i'm just <laughs> he's shaking his head already oh oh you already know how i'm going about gonna go about wii u um, you think I didn't bring my gloves to this fight? I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready. Uh, you, brought the, you brought your gloves to this good old discussion. Oh, yes. Oh, be ready. I expect you to be ready. Uh, but, Luke, before we get in, uh, in, more into the show, uh, can you give us a little gaming history? Like, how did you get into video games, and how did you get into podcasting? Oh, uh, well, I got into video games. I, I was very young. Um, I... The first time I realized that you could press a button on a controller and cause a reaction on screen, I was hooked. And, and it was I was very young when that happened, probably playing on my parents' old dusty Atari. My parents were not gamers, but they were stoners, and so they had <laughs> video games from that era. And, and they kind of brought it out to keep me entertained for one afternoon. And at that moment, I was hooked. But we didn't have a lot of money uh, in the house. We put our money into other things. And I always had like a system behind what was current. Uh, getting hand-me-downs or, or, you know, buying it cheap uh, from friends or something like that. And I played and played and played, but this was also the time where people were like, oh, video games will rot your brain, they're not good for you. And so uh, I was very limited in that. It wasn't until I was able to really work and make my own money that I was able to save up in high school and get a, a PlayStation. Maybe I was middle school, uh, but buy my own PlayStation and... Uh, Play, play Metal Gear Solid and then trade my system with a friend down the street for so I could play Rogue Squadron and we would mix and match just to play lots of games that way. And uh, My love for games never waned throughout the entirety and it, there was a phase in college where I wondered if I was like, oh, maybe I should stop. Maybe, maybe this is a kid's thing and I need to grow up. Uh, and then a few months later, I was selling Plasma in order to be able to afford an Xbox 360 so I could play Gears of War. And I, I decided very quickly that this is my passion. This is something I love doing, and I don't want to ever give that up. I do try to keep myself healthy in other aspects of my life, but gaming is a part of who I am, and uh, it, it will probably never go away. And so that was, I guess, that was the the joy of of realizing that, and it's it's not gone away since. Uh, what was the other half of your question, if you don't mind? Oh, uh, and then how did you get into podcasting? Oh, uh, well, I. So I took a brief phase, probably ten years ago now, uh, where I was a. I stopped being a teacher for a bit. I'm currently a teacher now, but I, I stopped being a teacher for a bit and tried my hand at journalism. And uh, I was rather successful. I had bylines on MLSsoccer.com and, and working with Sports Illustrated, and I really I ran my own blog, and I had my own hundred plus episode show. Uh, that covered North American soccer, and I would have athletes and managers and coaches and millionaires of all types on the show pretty regularly. Um, but as I faded out of that and decided that I couldn't make a career out of it at the rate I was going, I was also working at GameStop and uh, working in retail trying to make ends meet. It was too difficult. So I went back to teaching, and that meant that I could, didn't have the time to keep podcasting. And so that faded uh, into the into the nethers of my uh, history. And... Later on down the road, I would guest on people's shows as I started writing again as a freelance journalist for fun uh, in video games. I guested on various shows. I was part of uh, the Xbox Drive for a year until we decided to split and go in different directions. And uh, 
long story short, XEP became a show that I'd been wanting to make for a very long time and wanting to do is have analytical questions, analytical topics about an ecosystem. So I love Xbox, but I am not decidedly pro Xbox versus PlayStation or pro Xbox versus Nintendo or whatnot. I just cover Xbox and how the ecosystem of that world is impacted by news. Uh, and then I bring on developers and creators and producers to offer their insights into their experiences in gaming. And it's what I enjoy doing. It's probably that journalistic background. I enjoy spotlighting uh, stories in the game reverse that we might not otherwise hear or that might deserve more credit, more time, like talking about the, the solo indie developer, as well as the, the big AAA developer games as well. And then, you know, one of my favorite interviews came from people that, um, the story and art lead of, or in the Will of the Wisps, hearing how he thematically created levels to left and right actually meant time travel in their minds as they created it. Like, those are cool insights. So yes. uh, that's, that's what I enjoy doing when it comes to podcasting. Yes. So do guys check that out on Spot? I believe Spotify, uh, iTunes, uh, or Apple Podcasts. I it, should say Google. it's on all of them, man. It's even on Pandora of all things. Yes. <laughs> so, but we're gonna get into the strength of first party, and my uh, my first part is um, who makes first party games? And if you think about it, because some people might just say, "Well, this company and this company," but in in total, uh, in-house teams. So, if you look at Nintendo, sometimes you'll see Nintendo published by Nintendo, developed by Nintendo. That means they have actually did some work within uh, that company to make a game. Um, Second-party teams would be something like Retro. Uh, you know, uh, major known third parties would be like uh, Kobe Tecmo or someone like that. Um, Another second party, in a way, is Platinum. Um, and I think until Platinum starts publishing more of their own games, uh, right now, I think they're kind of like in that third party, I, but they're not part of the second party teams where um, they're owned by, you know, Nintendo, anything like that. Um, indie games could come in. So if you guys look at Good Job, um, they made a game for Nintendo. Uh, or Nintendo published it, I think. And I don't know if that's time exclusive or anything, but right now it's kind of a Nintendo game. Or if you look at Cadence of Hyrule um, as a game like that. Uh, last but not least, you creating a game within the game. So it, it may sound weird, and then let me explain. Uh, so Super Mario, uh, of Mario Maker, uh, you may cr now create worlds and put it out there within that game. Or Little Big Planet, you may create a game, or e and even Dreams, create these kind of games and put it out to people to er actually recognize. So you might not really be a full developer, but in order for for people to experience your levels, you have to go and buy that game. So it's kind of like you got these levels, and if the if those uh, the um, publishers and those first party companies like Nintendo, Sony, and Microsoft, if they want to take your content and use it and everything, well, they pretty much have every right because it's their IP. But you're creating worlds and ideas within a game from their game. So in a way that sometimes you may be publishing you may be developing for that first party um look what are your thoughts about that well i do not buy the argument that you creating a world within super mario maker makes you first party or you create the game within it i don't see that as 
really the same thing. I mean, I think the the exception might be in something like Dreams, but they're even working out legality issues there. But when you create your own game, you're really using tools that they are providing and selling to you within their own world and within their IP. If it was not IP-based, and that's why I cite Dreams, yeah. uh, I think you can make a bigger argument for that. But for Super Mario Maker, I don't see that as a you're not creating a first party anything you're just manipulating uh something that they're offering you uh in that respect uh but as far as who makes first party games it's in-house studios for sure and then from from there to a lesser extent you can argue the second party teams uh that are that are hiring out external studios to make stuff with first party ip but i would not go so far as to say that like plat, I don't think that Platinum Games is a first-party studio because they're no. making stuff for other systems. You know, right? And that's where I was just like, they would be third-party, but I don't know where to place them at mm-hmm. the time. You know, because they a lot of their stuff is published by first-party developers, mm-hmm. but you know, they're not connected to anybody. You know, mm-hmm. kind of like almost like Ray Ford. Like Ray Ford is a developer and publisher. You know how they do the Shantae games. They could right. publish and make their own games, um, mm-hmm. and they would be considered pretty much third party. But they're not major third party like EA or Activision. But you they know? are third party because their stuff shows up on yes. other platforms uh, sometimes day and date, sometimes not. And I think that that's where you get into the debate of. Timed exclusives is it actually an exclusive in that respect? Um, <laughs> which, but I, which is that, which is a a, to, a topic in this discussion, <laughs> right? And, and I, I see it down there on the notes. But I I look at like something that say Ultimate Alliance three, one of my favorite Switch mm-hmm. games. Um, that is no, by no means is that a first party game in any way, shape, or form. However, we can acknowledge that it's published by Nintendo. Yes. That doesn't make it first party, though. And there's a big difference. Publishing is a matter of distribution, not a matter of creation. And I think those are two different uh, aspects that you have to look at when you consider first and third party games. But but making it for first party, like making it for Nintendo, making it for kind of kind of making it for Sony, kind of making it for for Microsoft. Like they're making it for the these. I consider them first parties because they own the system and they make the games and everything. So yes, I do agree with you. Um, like having the publishing them, but it's like if they're, I think people will probably say, well, that particular company is giving those developers money to make the game. So they would consider that as first party because, uh, the publishers are paying those developers to make the game. Who who are you thinking is considering that first party? You're talking about like like the mass gamer verse, like like gaming, just like the casual people or those who are informed to journalists. When what are you pretty in much, your mind? Pretty much casual is some of the hardcore people who are not into the business aspect of it. They they think of it something as being simple instead of being complicated. Meaning that if like I said, if a publisher gives a developer money that that title belongs to that publisher. So it's considered as first or third or whatever. Um, and because Kobe Tecmo and Marvel is not actually Nintendo, um, they, they don't, cause they don't see it as that. This is not actually first party, even though that 
Nintendo pay for it, they went outside of the company to have it made. So it should be considered as kind of a third party game in a sense. But since Nintendo forked over the, over the money, some people will say it's first party. Um, I, I do not agree in that respect. I think you can you can acknowledge that it's exclusive to a system or platform, but like Koei Tecmo, I mean, they're make, they've made what? Like Took It In, Warriors Orochi, Neo, all those. Uh, some of those are platform exclusive, some not, but they're still a third-party entity. Yes. And I don't, I don't assign and, them first-party roles, even if like, and, like with Neo, I don't think of that as a first-party game. But they're, but they, but, and in, in general for this topic, who's making them? You know, they're, I'm not saying that they're actually first party, but they are ones who can make a first party game. So it, so more, more in the sense that, you know, if uh, if Nintendo or Sony does go out to the Kobe Tecmo, Kobe Tecmo can make a first party game. Capcom can make a first party game. It doesn't make them part of Nintendo, but they can make a game for it. You mean working with their IP? Like, Koei Tecmo could go make the next, I don't know, Jade Empire game? Is that what you mean? Yeah, in a sense, yeah. They have the option to, but I I still would not equate that to first party. Personally. Really, yeah, if they went and made Jade Empire, which is a Microsoft IP... I think it's a Microsoft IP. Uh, if they went and made that game and it was exclusive to to Xbox Series X or Xbox no, One, no, J Empire's uh, Bioware. Is it? Is yeah. it? It was on Xbox One. So let's yes. say that they they go and they they make a first party Xbox game like with their first party IP, but they, I would still think of that as a third party game. It's just a third party exclusive. I would you say know? if if Microsoft had to make Fable. In a sense, let's just, let's just say that, and Microsoft paid for it. People would think because it's an IP owned by Microsoft, it's a first party game, depending on who developed it. If it's their IP yes. and they're publishing it, I'm I understand where you're coming from, but I still I don't think the more informed uh, audiences would equate it to being a first party game. They would recognize that it's an IP and it's going to be exclusive, but. I think that's 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 an in the weeds type topic. I mean, we still think of uh, to your point, I think we look at a lot of the Kirby games. Those are first party Nintendo games, but yes. really they're not they're not made by Nintendo. Right. However, I think that Nintendo is unique in that they will do those types of deals more often mm-hmm. than Sony and Microsoft do. Those still exist on Sony and Microsoft platforms, but to far lesser extents. Um, I'm thinking about Halo Wars, Creative Assembly. Like they, they outsourced that. They did not make that under first party IP, but it is an exclusive game to, with their IP. So IP being rented out is a bit different, I think, than an in-house first party team. Okay. So um, we're gonna move on. What does first party offer to the players? Um, what the system offers: um, a better budget to deliver higher quality than other software, genre-changing ideas and execution, different approach to stories. Um, and this is more about like sometimes first party games can offer something that indies and third parties don't typically offer in a sense like the paper mario uh, series you know with that kind of art style and everything not many third party or other first party developers are doing anything like that um so there's a chance that 
you know, Nintendo and this company, they could offer that kind of experience with that art style and that writing and gameplay that not most many people can. Um, you look at, uh, we just watched the PS5 uh, event, and we look at Horizons, uh, Horizon 2 Forbidden West um, and what Guerrilla Games are doing. And it's just like, okay, Microsoft may be able to achieve that, but we don't know what developer of theirs could do it. Um, Nintendo, they need powerful systems to achieve something like that, but that's not their motto when it comes to art styles. For art book, yes. But for end game, not really. So, um, that higher quality, that bigger budget that Gorilla has, are able to create those worlds and everything on that platform. Um, as funny as it sounds, uh, with the general changing ideas and executions, we um, look at Breath of the Wild on how we left that ragdoll physics, but then we see how Nintendo takes physics and literally make it into a scientific game. What people can and cannot do, and what like what the chain reactions in it. Um, and if we could see Nintendo do it, maybe that would change on how we look at ragdoll physics um, when it's being done and when it's being used and executed. Uh, and plus, people won't climb me now in games, <laughs> in open world games, which is still boggles my, uh, my mind. And different approaches to story. Um, me, it, like me and Luke, we were talking about Gears 5 and everything. And. Um, we were talking about kind of the graphics and everything. Uh, but if you look at the approach to a, uh, uh, the approach to a story, um, they're really going for this kind of character. Um, you know, they're really trying to give character depth. They, you know, and really tell a more thought out story than the previous games. Uh, and that's just their approach on how they'll talk, talk, um, use, it's their approach of how they'll go about stories when it affects characters and when it affects emotions and things like that in their narrative. Um, so, uh, what did you think? What What did you feel like first-party games offer to players? The easiest answer is budget, as you said. Budget makes a big difference when it comes to to a number of things, but... And you can talk about resources, you can talk about engine resources, you can talk about manpower... And as valuable as those things are, what that budget really brings is time, yes. is time. And depending on the strength of the brand that's, that's uh, the, the first party that you're talking about, and depending on the slate of releases that have, have been uh, happening in the past leading up to, that might mean more or less time accordingly, but I'm th- fresh off of playing God of War. And Sony essentially allowed Corey uh, Barlog to create his team, have an extensive amount of time. They were able to push dates multiple times back and create the world they wanted to create. Being a first-party title means you have the resources of the collective budget of your first party. Sony is not starving for money uh, when it comes to that, and they were able to fund God of War through those delays pretty regularly. Microsoft, of the big three, has the most money of all all the big three, they have a market cap in the trillions uh, that both neither Nintendo nor Sony has, but they've misused that a bit with their first party. And that's why you see that you saw them go on a shopping spree to bring more part, more studios into that first party. And now they are uh, seemingly, to the best of our knowledge, offering time to their studios. They brought in Obsidian, they brought in In Exile, they brought in 
Double Fine and so many others, and they are saying, hey, whatever you're working on, fine. It can be multi-platform because that's how you were building it before. But three years from now, four years from now, they're giving time to those developers to create. Uh, and that's what a big budget brings. And that's what being with a first party allows you is the, the time to create what it is you want to create. Because if you rush something or you uh, try to you know, throw money at a problem without thinking it through or you don't have the right people on a problem, you get a crackdown three situation. Or you get a state of decay two at launch situation, which are are two good examples of formula and CFDs. I think you could throw in there as well. Yeah. Uh, in that year of, of Microsoft's uh, IP, where you had Crackdown, State of Decay, and CFDs, you had two games with a wonderful foundation: CFDs and State of Decay two. And the foundation was great. But they needed time, and they were rushed by an older Microsoft that had nothing to offer because they didn't plan well. And now if you enter either of those worlds, those games are stellar. Sea of Thieves' concurrent view rates are, are climbing up day by day, breaking their own records on Steam alone, not just Xbox, and that's not counting Game Pass subscribers. Yeah. State of Decay 2 is in its two-year-plus anniversary. Which and I, uh, which I have to stop you. I have to upgrade, not uh, upgrade. I, have, I think I need to patch it. Um, I really want to get back it's a state of decay too because the gameplay in that front and just in this original one i love the gunplay in that game yeah. i'm like this game is so good but why is it why is it not hooking me it was weird and just seeing all the improvements that they make i'm like yeah it's time for me to jump back in oh but go it's, ahead i'm sorry well no it's it's wonderful now and that's what time allows you and that's what time can do for you and we existed at this this in this period of gaming in 2014, 15, 16, and I would argue a bit of 17, where for a lot of games were relying on patches to become the game that the, the creators envisioned. Yes. And to a certain extent, we see that happening still, but I would argue less so. And to be clear, we're not, we're not counting live service games, because those are meant to be regularly updated. Yes. Uh, but the games just launched in states that weren't comfortable, because they... We're not given the time in their development periods. Now, though, I think we're seeing that happen with the budgets that are being offered. And that's the benefit of being a first-party studio. When you work for Sony, not only are you uh, a first-party studio with Sony and have their budget, but you also have the clout and the pressure that comes with it because they've been producing Horizon Zero Dawn, Last of Us, uh, Spider-Man, and what was the one I just played? God of War, yeah. you know? Imagine being the Days Gone of that group. Oh, you know, like Days Gone, I'm so excited to play that. That is my kind of game. But next to God of War, Last of Us, it didn't stand up. But if you put it next to some other uh, first-party games, it's great. And there's there's a pressure that comes with being in first-party as well. you got to be up to par. I mean, how many of the Kirby games are just really not that great? But they seed ideas for the next great Mario or the next great Zelda. They've got ideas in, in some of their smaller IP for Nintendo that leak into the Mario mainline games or the Zelda mainline games. And, so, and, and with that, and with that, it depends on who the targeted audience is. Because if there are kids and younger people who are into Kirby and or people who who feel like the God of Wars and The Last of Us are too hard for them because they can't grasp gameplay and their skill level is not high. They may play Kirby and the ease of access with the skill in there, they may feel like every game is fantastic to them. Mm -hmm. And like I said, it's a younger crowd versus... That's going to probably be a, a discussion one day. Younger versus older. And the level of skill that plays a part to. 
um, for it. You know, of course, yes, Kirby is... The thing about Nintendo with their games is they're trying to reevaluate how to approach games in the gameplay. They don't want to be in... They want they want you to be familiar with the basics, and then they want to evolve and improve upon that. So sometimes they may have to do a game that may not be up to the level for some of their fans and some uh, to some of the players, but the idea execution is there. And if they can fine tune it for their next game, it'll be something to be you know proud. They of. also they also get the most leeway of any of the big three first parties. They get the most leeway by their fans. Uh, which is interesting, and I think that comes with the clout that their IP offered through the years. There's a nostalgic forgiveness that happens. But Switch owners, if you want a third-party game, typically you're paying more for it on Switch for an older game. You know, like you're going to pay more for a weaker experience, and for some reason they're allowed to consistently do that, whether it's the offering of Switch being mobile, whether it's the fact that there's a market permeation, but like Witcher 3, Outer Worlds, and, and Doom, and so many others are lesser experiences on that Switch. There's no arguing that. And, but also, and it I doesn't... Could probably, I could probably uh, answer that reason why. Well, let, let me finish my point oh, first. Ahead. Let me finish my point first. <laughs> they are absolutely weaker and lesser experiences. There's no doubt about it. You can put side-by-sides... Um, any day of the week, and you'll see a better experience on the PlayStation Slim, on the Xbox uh, One S, and then you can go up to Pro and X and st- and see just incredible experiences. But for some reason, Nintendo fans forgive it. They'll also forgive paying more for that system, which is to me the the oddity because many Switch owners own multiple consoles, and they will they'll do the combination PlayStation and Switch or whatnot. But they will still pay fifty, sixty dollars for a game that's five or ten dollars. Uh, or available in PlayStation Now or Game Pass, which which boggles my mind a bit. And I think it speaks to that Nintendo fandom. It also, I think, is a lesson that, for goodness sakes, I need Microsoft to learn that because you're the most powerful console doesn't mean a darn thing. The Xbox One X is clearly the market leader in the console space when it comes to power, and that hasn't sold, like, what, six systems. So, like, why are we worried about that still? And it, it frustrates me that Nintendo fans reward that behavior at the same time capitalism in 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 entertainment and marketing is not something you can get mad at because we all vote with our wallets and when i look at my switch right in front of me right now i mean i was willing to pay full price plus the expansion for ultimate alliance 3 and that game does look like a mobile game but i didn't care because it was fun so there's you know there's there's a lot to, to balance in that but i do think the rewarding of nintendo's business practices Still baffles my mind. Like, why don't we have a virtual console? Why am I paying for Mario 3 again? Why am I paying extra money for the Outer Worlds when it looks like mud? There's a lot of questions in that. And at the same time, people are doing it. So and maybe I'm the odd one out. No, you're not the you're not the odd one. The thing about it is Nintendo Switch has you – Switch gives you the availability to play games on the go to completion. Mm-hmm. And every time it comes to Microsoft or Sony, unless you are a committed gamer, though sometimes big party games become backlog. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, you are paying $60, but then how long is your $60 going for? Are you going to complete Doom Eternal? And are you forcing yourself to play Doom Eternal? Or 
would you pay sixty dollars? Yeah, for a lesser experience, a lesser graphical experience for right. whatever reason. You still getting the same story. You still shooting the same whatever and doing the same strategies and everything. But if I could do this on a consistent basis because I my time depending on how my livelihood is and switches allow me to get through a game and be able to come on podcasts and talk about everything, be able to talk about character and artwork and narrative or whatever. And I'm actually able to complete it versus this big, powerful, beautiful looking game sitting on my shelf or on my system digitally, not being played for months your value of that game is going to probably be placed more on Switch than it is on Xbox. And also, Switch has, with Nintendo products, and I talked about this about the Wii U, people laugh at at Wii U uh, with their games and everything. But the thing about it is, you will literally find more people buying, try to buy those games because out of regret or whatever, or be like, as, yes, Nintendo's not powerful with the Wii U as other place, uh, other games and that we played for, but I know this copy is not going to be available physically, and there are still some physical people that want to get hard copies. So I'm going to snag this physical quickly before it's gone. And now everybody is looking for a copy of Resident Evil. They don't want a digital license because, or the digital thing because. They already own their fourth external hard drive, and they got to switch it out or delete games and stuff. I don't know that that's entirely true because when you buy a game on the Switch, you get a third of it on the cartridge, and then you have to download the rest of it. I'm not sure that argument holds up comparatively. For some, from some developer, for some developer games, yes, I will agree. But, I'm, but I'm just talking using the Wii U for example. Uh, for for Switch and their and their games and stuff most people feel like you know switch has an even battlefield across the other two meaning that limited run games uh nicholas whoever is offering these indies to get their games physically people are going to go and get them um because they want that experience still on switch but they know that it's going to be worth something in the future because you can't get this on physical. But the limited run market, by its very definition, is a niche market. Yes, that's not that's not moving any needles yes. in in mass. Right, but it gives an even playing field because it is just physical in a sense. Like limited, trust me, limited run should have physicals for Microsoft, Xbox. I mean, Microsoft should have for Xbox, PlayStation, and Nintendo at the same time for any indies. Streets of Rage should be available physically on all three platforms. Physically. But they only offered it for PlayStation and Switch. And when you try to really go in and get one, it's, the Switch ones are out because they know that that's a hot commodity. The PlayStation one may still be there in some of the in some of the games and stuff. And that, and that's more that's more physical based. But if yeah, but but if no one's buying them for Xbox, why make them? And like Microsoft did a good job turning the the mm-hmm. their their uh, disastrous launch of the Xbox One. They turned it around pretty well. To sell 50 yes. million units is nothing to to exactly. you know, yeah, nothing to sneeze at considering it's bat botched launch, and and realistically, they're making money hand over fist with Game Pass and Xbox yeah. Live. Oh, yeah, of but 
if none of, if that market, if their market does not really, I mean, their, their entire premise is digital based. Yes. And if their market's not buying physical, why would Limited Run worry about making physical versions? Because you would think, you would go back to your argument is that if they, if these systems got the best experience, why are not people not buying it? Because the best experience comes for digital for that audience, I would argue. But even if it is digital, it should come physical too. Why? And even and even, it should it should come physical too, in case of people who don't have good internet. For just for example, like I'm, the, the I acknowledge that, but I think that's a very and, small and, group of people for and, a million dollar business, right? And because of digital, you are limited with the, with the amount of space. Me and Corey and Jesse was talking about this yesterday. Uh, we we made it a conversation about disc versus discless, um, and we talked about you know. Yes, you can have an external hard drive, but depending on who owns that box, if a young kid is stuck with a 500 gigabyte PlayStation, their parents are not going to spend $75 or more to get extra space. And so now you got to re-download stuff, you got to take stuff off, you got to prioritize, do I keep these games because my friends are playing it, or do I take this off so I can have a 200 gig Call of Duty on my system if my parents are allowing me to have Call of Duty? Adults don't have to worry about nothing about that. So this physical, physical and digital doesn't have nothing to do with with adults who are able to afford it. Kids though, that's when it's just like, yes, I got an Xbox One X or I got a PlayStation Four Pro. And I'm still limited to what I could play on it because of the games that I'm allowed to buy or the parent, what my parents are buying me. And if I do buy this game and I beat it, A, well, A, I can't trade it in. If physical, at least if I go to GameStop and trade it in, I could get something else, maybe the same or lesser, you know, do the... Uh, uh, but Edward, physical's... Yeah dying dude like in the playstation 5 was just announced and sony of all people miss mm-hmm. the sony though this is how you trade your games on ps4 sony's got an all digital uh console physical's dead think, and there's no I think, like i think i think with the the physical the digital one i i, I haven't seen no one talked about the xbox s digital um some people might assume that um yes the, the rise in digital games yes half have definitely during this crazy time and those same discs that you're talking about though require an install so i'm not sure yes where's the where's the debate here i think the debate i think the debate is is that even with even with physical even though this is not anything that we're first party (laughs) i know kind of got out of it but this is optional thing we do that always I, i think with physical and digital um and mainly with switch is that people who are whether they buy it physically or digitally um on switch is that it feels like they're going to play the game in this full aspect on that system then the other two systems even though they're powerful and they got all of these games a lot of people sometimes make a lot unintentionally they lose interest and it becomes a backlog game so even though we got the best graphics and everything they become backlogged on it so these you have games stuck on those systems not everybody and i don't know why really tries to complete games nowadays but if they could take their time on switch and actually get through a game and be like yeah i did beat the witcher 3 on switch 
You did. That, that, I think you're going anecdotal versus but, database. But 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 I'm, but what I'm saying but what I'm saying is I'm like look at Doom Eternal, look at Final Fantasy Seven. How many people you know really beat that game? Um, all the way through Doom Eternal, I think that got crushed by Animal Crossing. Like I haven't seen really seen a lot of people. You beat it all. You beat it. Uh, I know mm-hmm. that much. Uh, and I don't know if the game was kicking your tail or you was it, 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 Yeah, Doom Eternal. I think Animal Crossing stole the conversation, but also yeah. uh, they it didn't have the same effect because it wasn't fresh. Like it was, it was an extension of the Doom 2016, which reinvented. I think. You could argue the same thing's going to happen to God of War 2 unless they're able to have another uh, full-on, you know, full-on, like, reinvention. And I would, I'm would, i curious to see if this same thing happens to The Last of Us 2 mm-hmm. because you can only reinvent once and, and use that argument because if The Last of Us 2 or the inevitable God of War 2 do the same things as the first, the tale of conversation will probably be shorter because it's less uh, revolutionary. And I think that's what happened to Doom. Because Doom, everybody talked about Doom 2016 for so long because it was, uh, it managed to capture the spirit of Doom of old. But, I mean, it was different. It was special. I mean, imagine Mario Odyssey 2. That's not going to be as impactful as Mario Odyssey was because it wasn't different. You know, and same thing, Breath of the Wild 2 will be a good example of this as well. I'm curious to see if that's what happens. And, and, I do not know. And, and, I just am curious. And like I said, Nintendo is trying to do something different. So, yes, they, they will give you the basis and give you familiar, something familiar. But they know that let's test this idea out. Let's be this wacky. Let's see if we could do a level design based on this. Let's see if we – trust me, there's adults who cannot play Mario at all. Or they literally struggle. Is it? I and it boggles my mind. How can you do a fifty-seven combat, uh, a fifty-seven combo in Killer Instinct, but can't get through one level of Mario Brothers? It's it's bunkers. <laughs> uh, but I think Nintendo just like they try to be they they try to be sneaky with their gameplay. They be like, we're gonna do something to get you hooked. Okay, now this is a new level thing you gotta learn. This is a new level to design. We'll twist your head. We'll turn it around. Let's see if you remember this. Okay, let's change it up. Yes. Luigi's Mansion does not do that. They could have did more but Lu- Luigi's Mansion 3. Yes, I completely understand that. Um but Nintendo I think they try to do something different offer. If it succeeds and fails, it depends on what people get out of that experience and talk about. Just saying. Um right. but we're gonna get <laughs> and see this is this is the conversations that we have online. And this is the conversation that you that you probably not usually used to to be like Okay, now I understand where I get the questions, and now I understand why he has these discussions. Uh, but we're going to get to the last part. Um, are they exclusives? Um, who makes exclusives? Uh, does the game show up on another platform within the company's console, takes it away? And time exclusives versus taking ownership. Um, so mostly we could say Bayonetta 2 is an exclusive, for uh, just an example. Um, due to the fact that Nintendo paid Platinum to develop the game, um, uh, it came out on Wii U. Now, it kind of loses exclusive because it's on Wii U and on uh, and on Switch. But if you, you really can still say Nintendo it, exclusive. Yeah, it's still a Nintendo exclusive, yes. Um, uh, I, I, 
uh, wonderful one-on-one was one, but now that gets to the taking ownership and whatever business deal that is um, with that. Uh, the Black Maiden game that was on Wii U uh, that they did with Tech uh, McCoy. Um, that's not on it. Depending on, okay, yes, that game didn't sell. It's the Fatal Frame game. Um, but that's on Wii U, which is exclusive to that system because Nintendo paid Tecmo Kobe to do it. Um, but who do you think makes exclusives? Or who, um, d- does a game that if it goes to another platform, even with a fifth like, like Horizon, because now that's on PC or coming to PC, it loses exclusive. Um, what are your thoughts about it? Well, I think the word exclusive, like all words in language, they shift in meaning based on the cultural zeitgeist. You know, the word exclusive meant something fundamentally different 10 years ago than it does now. And I think a lot of that is due to the architecture of the way we create games and their appearance on PC. And that shifted a conversation. I can remember very vividly uh, watching people lose their mind with Microsoft's Play Anywhere initiative when they were saying, all right, we're going to put out, if you buy it on Xbox uh, One and it's available on PC, you're going to get it on PC. And people were like, oh, I'm never buying an Xbox again. Oh, this is terrible. You don't have a reason to buy the Xbox. And they're like, yep, that's okay. We're fine with it as long as you're playing the game. Cool. And people lost their minds. And now that Sony's doing the same thing, I think uh, the word exclusive is changing just a bit. And gamers as a culture are shifting the word exclusive to mean based on first party uh wonderful 101 bayonetta 2 those are nintendo exclusives mm-hmm. okay cool no problem uh money changes all things and and exclusive will fade as we watch timed exclusives show up but i think about uh at one point sony playstation's sony's playstation 4 occupied so many exclusives it was just it was painful to look at. They had Hellblade. They had Kingdom Hearts. They had Final Fantasy. They had so many great games. Uh, and, and Microsoft had Inside. Neat. Um, and now, uh, it was, uh, two years after many of those games were released, they were already prominently featured on a more powerful console in the Xbox One uh, X. Hellblade 2 looks and plays best on Xbox One X. doesn't matter. The, the, the tale was written for that. But it changed the way we thought of it. Hellblade, not an exclusive. No one thinks of it that way anymore. But at one time it was. Uh, Near Automata also thought of as an exclusive at first and then showed up on another place. So it it becomes an it, and loses their exclusive status when it shows up on another first-party system. And I exclude PC from that. Because simply put, I don't think those two groups intermingle Mm -hmm. in the game space as much as they do in the game conversation space. Lots of times you'll see conversations between PC and and console gamers on Twitter and social media and and on podcasts and whatnot. But in terms of game interaction, I don't think they mix as much as we might think they do. One of my favorite games to play is Halo Wars 2. That has crossplay. I play with PC people pretty regularly. I I, I get wiped by them quite often. we're seeing uh, Call of Duty do a great job with crossplay between consoles and PC, and it's a matter of input. Okay, if you're playing with a controller, we're going to group you here. If your mouse and keyboard, we'll group you there. That's that's smart. Those are changing the way we think of exclusives going forward. And money tides over all things. You're going to get timed exclusives, which will work out well in many cases. Or if you're the Xbox One and you have Tomb Raider, it's going to backfire something fierce, uh, which is funny. I, but Tomb Raider was more out of the fact that people 
Rise of the Tomb Raider, I should say, before because we didn't we we pretty knew that it's Square Enix and they probably was going to put it on PlayStation. We just didn't know that was more time. I think Rise had the uh, Rise was going to get ignored because of Fallout Four, so more, that's more of timey and more people not liking, still not liking Microsoft or feeling burnt from them about. Oh yeah, them. and um, Microsoft right, I mean that's that's a justified feeling. Microsoft burned everybody with that Xbox One launch. That was terrible. Um they, it was ju- it was just atrocious and they had no games. Just to put it put it bluntly, they didn't have games that people wanted to play. Ma- Master Chief Collection was a joke at that point. It's fantastic now. You should all go play it right now. Yes. Um but it but it was fa- a, a joke at the time. Halo 5 uh, was on the horizon, I believe. They didn't. They had gaps in their catalog. The system was ugly. There were, there were reasons why that failed. Can I actually um, tell and, you? I thought the original Microsoft. Uh, I thought the regular Xbox One was better looking than PS4. I looked at PS4 and I was just like, "This looks terrible. This looks basic." Design, Edward and oh, what? Get, 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 can what? I tell you? Can I tell yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, go ahead. Look, I love you so much. I know you just like he's making my day. Uh I think when I seen Xbox cuz I didn't like the 360 at all. I thought that game I thought that system was How about the slim version by the end? Slim, slim version, yes. Slim yeah, version okay, was really it. nice. If, yeah. The slim version was what Xbox 360 should have been in the first place. Um yeah. but I think when I looked at it, I looked at it, I looked at it at an artistic design, and I was just like, "Ooh, okay, yeah, it is big." But I'm like, I like how the ventilation thing looks up, and I'm like, "There's something about that ventilation sitting by the other black part," and I'm just like, "You know what? I I haven't brought an Xbox since the original Xbox when it came in. I'm just like, and I like this design. Something about it feels very." Nintendo wish, but not fully Nintendo. In the city. and then when you bought it, you had to have two hands to carry it because it was bigger than a baby. Uh, and was... I actually, well, I I missed the launch. Uh, I think when I got it, it was the second year when, like, because I got it because Ori was coming out and Rise of the Tomb Raider was coming out. But when I got my when I got my first Xbox One, the original one, I had Ori. I had uh, it was a one terabyte. It was Ori in the Blind Forest. It was uh, the Gears of War Ultimate Edition uh, with the other three games. Um, and it was where we play all packed in. It's uh, a good bundle. That's so, a good bundle. And it was like only $450. That's not as good a bundle. Man, that, that, I will tell you, to, to, to no end, do I understand why the Xbox One looked the way it looked? It was overventilated, so they didn't mm-hmm. have to worry about the red ring. The team, interestingly, the team that made that original launch Xbox One is still essentially the same core team that has made the the One S, One X, and the Series yeah. X. It would Phil Spencer has stated uh, a couple times that it was a matter of time. They weren't given the time they needed to engineer properly, yeah. uh, which I think is very fascinating to, to see that they didn't abandon that group of people and they stuck with them because the Series X looks like an engineered masterpiece. The Xbox One X is heavy as can be but slim and beautiful, and it's like, wow, they put a lot of technology here. Right. But uh, they, the forward thinking of Microsoft with that one X or with the original Xbox One, mm-hmm. with the camera, with the the voice activation, with the, a lot of the ideas that they were operating with, very forward thinking. 
and a true testament to atrocious messaging because you you cannot unless you are apple drive people kicking and screaming into a next generation unless you are the market leader and you occupy a, a number of reasons that people have to upgrade apple can, can do that with their headphone jacks and whatnot microsoft can, could not can and I there you, can i tell you what can you please preach this to stadia and google uh, I don't know what Stadia and Go- Stadia and Google. I'll tell you right now, they have some of the coolest ideas and the most under to be one of the richest companies in the world. I mean, they're up there with Microsoft and Tencent and something. They are rich. Yes, they don't give their team the money that they deserve, and their tech is sound. If anything that COVID nineteen proved to us, it's that people want to play stuff. They want to play video games, and imagine. Imagine if you don't need your console. XCloud is delivering on that. XCloud is rolling on all cylinders, I, and it's surprising. A lot of great things about it, dude. Dude, it's impressive. But Stadia is out, and it's just falling flat because of the the lack of budget. And it's proof positive that that Google saw an option and. and uh, uh, availability to market and to sell ad space and they're trying to get that technology to sell ad space um, the idea oh I see that video of Assassin's Creed Valhalla I'll just play that right now and there's that's a beautiful concept but they didn't fund it well and I don't think it's that Stadia is not listening I think it's that Google is not giving Stadia the Stadia teams what they need to produce the, the quality product well the, well the thing about it it's just like like the way that you mentioned microsoft is it but like you marketed the system and then all of this other stuff comes out same with stadia they marketed all of this stuff and then everything all this other stuff come out and it's not it's not making everything that you promised 4k 4k 60 um you was going to be able to roll out to everybody who pre-ordered and all of this stuff. And then little things start coming out that well, we don't have it all and we we're working on it and, and stuff. And it's just like, but you market this as 4k 60, you market this as what it is. You have led players into what this thing was going to be about. Mm-hmm. And that's the, that's kind of the thing that once again bringing up Corey and Jesse. That's the thing that I kept talking about Series X, and that's what I keep thinking about PlayStation Five. Is that you cannot say 4K 60, and then when the system comes out, I have to choose. They mentioned nothing about choosing a uh, series, not Series X, uh, uh, One X. They didn't tell us about you got you could choose between the resolution or. Uh, what was it? Resolution and frame rate. You have to choose between that. It sounds like, and the way that you are marketing, and quote me wrong, but your wording was play your games in 4K 60 frames per second. That means you're getting both at the same time. At the time that you are marketing this. So, mm-hmm. even though you have powerful systems, you have to choose one over the other. And I feel like if PlayStation 5 is going to do the same thing, you need to talk about this now. You need to say something about this now. Because the thing about it is, you're tricking people into buying your system. For And some people, they already plan to buy your system. You're tricking some people into buying your system and then problems are going to rise. Where you, as the person that's going to be interviewed, now have the answer to all of this. Why you didn't tell your... Uh, player base and the consumers all of this in the first place 
I get on Jesse. I I talk to me and Jesse discuss. I I don't get on him. Me and Jesse discuss that you know he uh, about the fourteen forty p and going up to one hundred twenty frames per second and stuff. I was just like, that's great and all, but if I have to choose between them, Microsoft is in big trouble. Sony mm-hmm. is in big trouble because you you marketed as you're getting these two things at the same time. My the basic cannot be for the K60. And I'm still having to choose between them in the first generation of the system. I'm not trying to knock Microsoft and Series X. I'm not trying to mark not uh knock Sony or PlayStation 5. Nintendo are Nintendo shows you what you're going to get and they'll they'll do some crazy stuff to keep it going. That's it's a comfortable thing. reminder that if the game's fun, people don't care about that stuff. There's a lot of hubbubaloo right now at the time we're recording uh, because the PlayStation 5 event just came out. Yes. Uh, it was a compressed stream. We know that. However, Digital Foundry did whatever they do that's magic uh, and determined that a lot of the games are running at 30 frames per second. Um, I don't give a hoot what uh, Spider-Man or Ratchet & Clank are running in. I, yes. If those games are fun, I'm going to be playing those day one whenever they're available. Uh, on whatever system I have, because I still think Miles Morales is probably going to come to PS4. Um, yeah. I still think that. I'm not sure yet. The messaging is still cloudy. But if it's fun, I don't care about that kind of stuff. The marketing speak has got to be a bit more honest uh, in order to be careful of incurring the wrath of the Internet, because the wrath of the Internet is is far more powerful than I think many were able led to believe. And you can look actually in the political space of this, yes. uh, separate from video games. You look in politics right now, the clapback of Twitter, the clapback of Instagram is very powerful in swaying people's minds. And in gaming, it's uh, equally effective as well at changing a narrative on a system or on a, on a game if, if they don't have the messaging more clearly uh, set. And so if Microsoft or Sony don't deliver what they say they're going to deliver, then the clapback is actually becomes the conversation regardless of how good the game is. And that is the, the narrative that they will write for themselves into the grave if they are, they are not careful with their wording. And I've actually seen Microsoft in the last six months start off super strong at the Game Awards. And then like because one person won't shut his or her mouth in one little line of statement, people will latch onto that line of statement and they'll actually lose some of their momentum. Uh, and so you got to be real careful of that in an age of clapback. And, and yes, and and I think you mentioned Digital Foundry. I'm like, that's why the popularity of Digital Foundry has increased because now people are seeing the technical aspect of these games on running on these systems, they, mm-hmm. uh, what what is oppressive, what is not oppressive, what are their the stuff is clocking at and everything. And don't forget, gamers didn't care nothing about that. So digital foundry really didn't play a part. But like you look at the, the digital foundry knows that okay, we take a look at a Nintendo game, we're going to get views because everybody want to see what's under the hood. Um, mm-hmm. People want to see when it comes to comparison of an old game and a new game uh, for any other platform, they're going to click on and see. So the importance of Digital Foundry for a lot of people is just like, yes, we want want our games to look good and run smooth. But when we know the technical stuff about it, it's very impressive that this stuff can happen. Like people looked at The Witcher 3. People looked at... uh, 
Uh, I think people watch the Outer Worlds and like running on Switch and stuff. And you hear Digital Frontier talking about what it what works for them and what doesn't, and like why is this stuff still impressive and if they recommend it or not. You know, Digital Frontier has now in this time become benef- beneficial and a benefactor to gamers across the world. And it's it's crazy on how that happened. You went from being techie for like PC players to now you matter for everybody with the, with their games in your systems. So, uh, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting in the future. Uh, and yes, everybody, I know that we got off the topic, but that's that's optional opinion. Uh, so, um we're close to the one hour mark and I do not believe that I promise you just an hour of your time. I don't know if you got anything else to do. Um, do you have any other like things you want to speak about this? Like what is the, what, what do you feel personally gets you to buy a first party game? Is it for some people? Is it loyalty? Um, is it that you are interested in that game or is it like support? You know, you really want to support a developer and a publisher that you think others might not support, but you are a gamer and a podcaster, and you love games, and you just want to support them. Like, what gets you to support? I mean, gets you to get buy a first-party game? I, I think support is actually the weakest of the arguments when it comes to mass market. Not for me specifically, but in general, people don't buy games to support studios en masse. I think a small collection of gamers do that, um, and I think a small collection of, of the informed populace do that. Like, oh, I really like you know X developer. I'm going to buy their game regardless. That does happen, but in very small quantities. It's not a realistic expectation that that moves a needle, really. Um, People will say they want to support Naughty Dog. That's not true. They want to play a an immaculately crafted game, and they want to be part of a zeitgeist. That's typically what makes people buy a game. They see something popular, they want to keep going and buy into it. That's why Avengers Endgame uh, sells so much, is that people want to be informed on the topic, and they want to to have a, have a conversation with others on that topic. And as 100 people buy, buy into it and talk about it a lot... A hundred more, like, oh, I want to talk with them. I'm going to go see that same movie, play that same game. That's how you uh, move the, na- the needle to to sell games. Uh, when it comes to being a first party, I think that to a greater extent than, than just supporting the developer does happen, and that has to do with marketing as well. People now have come to expect a certain caliber of exclusive from Sony uh, and so they will buy in because it's a Sony first-party game. They ignore the fact, which is interesting, that Sony has shuttered a number of studios during this generation, uh, had a bunch of flops of first-party games that didn't sell well. Uh, I'm thinking like Last Guardian, Kill Strain, which you probably never even heard of, but did exist. Uh, there was another one, that Shadow of the Colossus Remake, and a few others that just... But Concrete we don't... any Concrete Genie, nobody's talking about. Days Gone, no one's really talking about. Uh, and... That's fine, because they people expect the caliber of Last of Us, God of War, and such. Uh, with Microsoft, and who knows, man, flip a coin about how people will react to their IP, because Sea of Thieves flopped on, on Arrival, but is now doing gangbusters. 
quietly in its own corner, growing, 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 which is interesting. City of Decay 2 is the best it's ever been and growing, 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 but very, very quietly. And, and, uh, and, and I can honestly admit, I have fun with Crackdown 3. I literally thought that was one of Microsoft's best games that year uh, with Crackdown oh, 3 gosh. came out. And, and, okay. I, and I think the hook to me was, I'm like, I love, of course, playing online with a, with my friend and talking about stuff, but I'm just like, I guess doing these missions and shooting and just jumping around, I think there was something about it that had me coming back more and more. Uh, and I was just like, I'm get like, I'm loving it. Like, it's fun. Yes, it's not for everybody, but I'm just like, this is a game that is just fun. Like, it's, it, it's, it, it is, is my fun. greatest curse that I love Crackdown 3. Because in every show that I'm on, people somehow find a way to bring it up. I love Crackdown 3. Mm -hmm. It was a game cursed by its expectations, by being yes. expected to carry a first party, because it was launching alongside an era where Horizon Zero Dawn, God of War, and Mario Odyssey were existing as pillar franchises, yeah. and Microsoft had nothing. Crackdown 3, in a, in a bubble, if you just go play it, it is a very fun game. Yeah, yeah. It does not look next-gen, so I will grant anybody that, but it's fun. And it's a video game, video game, where you're overpowered and having fun. And I like that a lot. I think more people should experience that. Um, but it's vilified because it was over-promised and under-delivered on what it was. It, it was mm -hmm. a product of the Don Matrick era, which is thankfully gone, of Microsoft. Um, it feels like Crackdown. If you play the original Crackdowns yes. 1 and 2... It feels like another one of those, and so uh, it, it's a shame that it was marketed the way it was. Um, the power of the cloud garbage was was a shame, but it's a fun game, and so I encourage people to go check it out. And, and it this is the thing about Crackdown Three and Days Gone; they both faltered from delays. Whatever, oh, whatever attentional that those games were, delays did help it, but. I think there was too many delays and there was no way that they were going to be able to make the thing they wanted to make. They literally just had to put whatever they created out. And so they, so it, it was weird back to back that crackdown. I feel like crackdown three equals days gone. Days gone equals crackdown three. You know, if I had to rate them, I think they both are a seven and stuff. Mm -hmm. Days gone has some big issues very big issues there was patching that game almost every day that game was getting patched um mm -hmm. but nobody was looking forward to it um nobody was returning to it nobody was really talking about it um some people felt that it was generic and with crackdown 3 people f like this is fun okay but it's still a generic game and this is not what xbox or microsoft studios promised so they mm -hmm. both fell in the same wheel right um, and you could that's the same thing that happened with Mario Tennis is that everybody was excited about it, but when it came out and people you know they played it and stuff, they were just like this is this is okay mm -hmm. you know this is generic and it's okay i was I was won over by the marketing in the Nintendo direct, but when it came out it the execution wasn't there right and stuff like yep. that. Yep, you know, and I so agree. it can it can happen to any of the systems. You know, not not everything first party is going to be 
a knockout. Like for me, Percy, I okay. So I, yes, I am biased. If you guys want to say that, I am going to support Nintendo. I am going to buy their first party games, regardless if it's good or bad. Because well, I grew up with Nintendo, I'd be like, oh, I have money. So you'll buy a bad game just because it's Nintendo? I will buy a bad game because it it, it is just Nintendo for some people for some games, depending on who the developer is. But I want to, I want to experience what everybody creates because the same thing, the same love that I give to Nintendo is the same love i give to microsoft and sony i tell i literally tell everybody i don't do game pass because i believe in supporting developers everybody laughed at me oh you don't do game pass no i'm at the store buying gears 5 i'm buying i'm gonna laugh at you right now only because oh no no edward you (laughs) said it hold on hold on hold on hold on hold on on. just hold on just hold on hold on I'm gonna flip this table. Ever. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna flip this table. You're not gonna flip the table. Uh, I, I love you so much. Um, I, I believe I'm kind of that old school collector kind of person, but I'm still I'm like everybody else. I feel like these developers put in work in, so I want to give them my sixty dollars. And yes, I prefer going to the store and. I'm I'm just old school. That's my old school soul. I love supporting still first party developers, um, and third party and indies. If I could go, if I could get the physical version, I'm going to go to that store and get the physical version. I kind of treat it like it's a, I kind of treat it like it's a birthday surprise or it's just something, you know, like some people say shopaholic kind of thing where it's like very therapeutic but i'm like oh gears 5 come out i'm at target i need gears 5 i need you to get it out the case right there go give me that red dead redemption 2 go give me that god of war i've literally have done that for all three platforms if you love okay. game pass, i don't knock nobody for who love game pass and stuff but i am the person that i'm paying my 60 some dollars at the time of release so yes i could have so i could take pictures and i could show everybody yeah i'm like i'm gonna be gaming with you guys too yeah if you got the game early digitally yes that's awesome but i'm like i went to the store and got the physical that's just me but i'm still contributing to that company and stuff because i believe in supporting them i believe in trying get, getting new experiences and uh, uh building my library up of games. okay all right question before before i respond how old are you if you don't mind i am 40 well, okay for okay so and that that is an important question because it determines where your core era of gaming evolved from does that make sense yes like we are part of a generation because I'm, I'm 34 but we're part of going to the store those midnight releases mm-hmm. that they brought a sense of community and power um and so i i i'm with you on that now that it helps with my understanding the the counter though is, and the point of contention that i have with you is the argument that that being a part of game pass does not support the developer i've had people on my show uh, I'm thinking right now about um, Steve Philby from Motion Twin. They made yeah. uh, Dead Cells. Yes. They, they, he and many other developers I've spoken to have stated outright that being on Game Pass supports their platform, yeah. supports them as a developer. Being on Game Pass is is part of why Sea of Thieves is now being so successful because people knew about it, people heard about it, people yes. tried it, and then the conversation spread. Selling the DLC spread. Uh, Gears 5 is... More successful, interestingly, than any of the other Gears games prior to because of Game Pass. The conversation, I think, is gone because that community is now what it is. Yes. But 
people are getting exposed to more games because of Game Pass. They're buying games that are on Game Pass. We look at what's the most recent? Minecraft Dungeons. Minecraft, Minecraft Dungeons. Dungeons is the best selling game on Xbox right now. Uh, Despite it being in Game Pass, that's not counting Game Pass sales. It also moved the needle in unseated on Animal Crossing. Cool. Um, yes. But being in Game Pass did not hurt that developer at all. And, and Right. And, and like I said, I'm not knocking nobody for a Game Pass. I, I don't knock This man I'm straight doing. up said he wants to support the developers that being in Game Pass doesn't. I'm going to fight him. No, no. I said, I said I don't do Game Pass because I go and buy the physical version of it. Or if I'm doing digital, I go out and buy it. I buy full out. Instead of, I, I, but yes, why not I'm, do? Why not have Game Pass as a subscription? Be exposed do, I, to more, because and then you can buy the, those if you want to support the them because you get a discount. This is, and this is the problem with it because Game Pass, the latest is from some indies and from Microsoft. Everything else is oh, I've already done the Yakuza series. I've they did Streets of Rage day and date, Minecraft day and right. date. Those are. Right. Boom, boom, boom. And, and, I, and I just said that there are indie games that are, there are some indie games that show up that are the latest in Microsoft first party. If I'm trying to if I'm trying to get a right range of games on Game Pass, it's stuff that I already own to play. You use the same thing with Nintendo about paying full price for some of the older games. You use that same exact thing. That's how Game Pass in the same way is. If I already have that experience and I already owned it, I feel like I don't need to I don't need to pay ten dollars a month or a dollar a month to play some of the old games that i already own and play at the time of their regular release i'm just saying okay debate discoverability with me let's use no man's sky as an example mm-hmm. um no man's sky of course a very storied launch we'll talk about that that's a different conversation yeah. but if somebody's never played no man's sky they play No Man's Sky via Game Pass. Yes, uh, and you can make the same argument for no, for PS Now or Stadia or, or Stadia yeah. Pro. Any games with gold, PS Plus, whatever. You're exposed to a game, and then because you're a subscriber to that service, you get a discount on it. I don't, and you can buy it. How is that not supporting the developer? Is I'm not saying that it's not supporting the developer. The thing about it is that No Man's Sky has already been out years before it came to game pass and depending on the player depending on your budget you have that chance to buy it out full out at that time and experience from what it is now now that there's been patches and fixes it's in a state that any now that it's available for game pass players it's there for you to play it's an older game that has got new content and it's up to date but if you already experienced, and it's up to you if you want to do Game Pass. I'm not, like I said, I'm not knocking anyone who does Game Pass. It's not for me because I know how I go about my games and how I purchase them. If I, like I said, if I buy it digitally and I buy it physically at the time of the release, that's what I have done. Or if I don't, if I, if it's not on Game Pass and I don't get it at that time and it's on sale, I'll get it on the sale. I'll pull, I'll pay for it full out. And that's me. Jesse and Corey does Game Pass. That's completely fine that they don't do Game Pass. I don't knock them for, I don't knock them for it, but it's just like, what are you getting out of Game Pass? Yes, discoverability is a big thing, but discoverability doesn't make you only play five games and nothing else. You're not going to play. There's not a lot of people who are going to play Yakuza. There's not a lot of people who are going to play uh, Creatures, of, Creatures of the Night. I think that was it, that pinball game. I, I just bought that on uh, Xbox. I don't, I don't know which one you're referring to there, but when it comes to Yakuza, that's a big deal that that's, it's no longer big, PS4 right, that's, exclusive. That's, yeah, that, that is a big deal. But I'm just like, 
how many of you guys on Xbox are going to give this game a try? Like even with even with Monster Hunter World being on Xbox, there are some people who it's there on Game Pass for you to play and you're not playing it. I would love to hop on I would love to hop on that game with a lot of people who are playing Monster Hunter on Game Pass. Let's let's ray. Let's do some games that's on Game Pass that that I own that's not on the system. Let's play. But not many people are playing them. Where are you getting not many people from? I guess I think, is my question. Are you talking about anecdotally in your life, like people that you know? Or are you seeing data somewhere? Um I'm not not so much seeing data somewhere. I think it's pretty much just seeing what people are uh because there there's no way to, I don't think there is data to see what everybody's playing. Um so you're talking like social media conversation. You're not seeing sense, people talk about it. Okay. In a sense, yeah, because because the thing about it is I want everybody to play Yakuza. I've been scre- when Yakuza hit Game Pass, I screamed out, "Play Yakuza." Play the series. Get your life. Laugh at the company. Have see what this Japanese version of of an open world game is. I've been screaming about Yakuza ever since I played it on PS2, on Sega when the when the series was seriously niche and nobody was playing Yakuza. Well, I literally was. I have been yelling about Yakuza for years. Jesse it will take Green. time for a previously understood to be Sony exclusive game. To enter into the mindset of a different subset of gamers. Moreover, yes. uh, if you are screaming from the the rooftops, play play Game Pass game, and then you're not on Game Pass, <laughs> it loses some. I think it loses I'm, some. I'm I'm, 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 scream, I'm screaming from the rooftop because I have that experience, and I want you to join that experience. And the availability of that experience is there. So if it's on Game Pass, play it. I. Jesse, Jesse, I keep going to Jesse. Jesse knows how much I scream about stuff about Xbox. Not in a bad way, but if it's there, I want you to play. They don't like Resident Evil 4. But the thing about it is, I play Resident Evil 4 on on, on uh, GameCube and uh, uh, Wii, and I still, I don't know Xbox. The and, best version was on Wii, by the way. Yes. That was the best version of Resident Evil 4, yes. and I played that on multiple systems as well. Yes. That was the best version. And I was just like, I know what kind of gamer you are and what you prefer, but I want you to go outside your box and give this game a try. He eventually did beat it. Uh, he does not like the game at all. He still thinks Resident Evil 7 and some of the other games are better, which is completely fine. I love, I love that. And my thing was that I love the fact that she played it through. I don't, I know what your opinion is. You don't, you don't have to like it, but you got that experience. And that's what I want people to have on Game Pass. If they are offering you a wide range of games, and you talking about discover discoverability, get some experience with those games. If you don't like it, you don't you take it off your system and you don't have to play it again or or anything. But when with it being certain old games on there that I've personally myself have already experienced, I want people more people who got Game Pass to jump on and play. 
I'm not knocking game. I'm not knocking anyone who does Game Pass. I never not. I've never knocked anybody. I never knocked. I, I heard him. I've, I heard him talking behind the the <laughs> behind back in the alley, guys. He said everybody that buys I, Game Pass is I've lame, and he talked about all your moms. Let me tell you, I've literally talked about Game Pass being on Switch. That has been a conversation that probably came up everywhere. And I would love to see Game Pass on Switch. I would love to see S Cloud on Switch. I would love to see this stuff happen for people who are not ex Microsoft players and everything that will happen later i thought we were i was th- initially i thought it was going to be sooner than later mm-hmm. but with the the scuttlebutt of how powerful the first party studios are becoming in xbox and the scalability of their within xbox 15 studios they've got single double and triple a games on the way yeah. so that they have a cadence of release it looks like that might they, they might have less need to push that service to other places. Plus, COVID-19 really had them test a lot of that yes. uh, server capability. And, and I think it's teaching them what to do and not do building forward. And this, and this might make some people mad about this, but Nintendo players haven't been yelling for Xbox first-party games. We've been yelling for your smaller games. Guess what we wanted? We wanted Ori. We got Ori. We, we screamed about Cuphead. We got Cuphead. Who screamed about Gears being on Switch? Nobody. No one's it's a different audience, yeah. And I will argue, as good as Ori and Cuphead were, uh, I don't think that being on Switch did them a lot of favors. I don't know that it hurt them. I don't know. They don't have the data in front of me. Do you think that helped them move the needle for Will of the Wisps, though? Yeah. Okay. I'm asking. I don't have data in front of me. And the reason why is because now everybody's hoping Will of the Wisps comes to Switch. People, and they should jump on Game Pass, PC, or Series X and play it, or One X play it. And it's crazy. Some people will hold out to have that game on Switch because they want a collection. That game is one of the most beautiful games ever made. Dude. You cup- absolutely need to be playing that. That yes. is one of the most amazing games ever made. Or two is just God's here. I have that collection for 80 bucks that came out. Ever since I've seen or even the Blind Forest was the reason that I bought an Xbox One. Really? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you said that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. So, I'm like, oh, Ori? Oh, this is a collection? I need to order this. I, when, I think they were, people were just like, okay, the pre-orders had just went live, which Microsoft should have marketed better because I didn't know it was live. I literally was like, oh, GameStop is taking them. I ordered this mm-hmm. and have it sent, sent to me. Um, Cuphead, when, it, when they got revealed and they had the pre-order for Switch, it jumped to number one. It stayed number one until the game came out. That's cool. Very cool. You know, if if trust me, if Halo Wars or Gears Tactics come to Switch, people are going to buy it there. Because they're just mm-hmm. like, well, I, I don't see this as an Xbox game. I see it as a PC game and a strategy game and it's there. Like, I won't waste it. I'll play Wasteland 3, yes, on Xbox, but I'll play it on Switch too if you, if you make it. <laughs> but that's, like I said, that's a personal thing to me. And and like I said, not knocking anybody, I know I've said this many times, not knocking anybody for Game Pass. I think it's a great service. It's, it's very beneficial to Microsoft. This is one of the smartest things they did. This is money. This is a hand over foot with money. They are making their coins. And as long as they make their money, they don't have to care about my opinion at all. The software is there. People want to play stuff and experience it. Go and do that. And if mm-hmm. you don't like it, you guess what? You somewhat paid for it because it's a monthly paid service. But it's not something that you physically own. And mm-hmm. you got to be, realize that if you stop buying any games or anything, 
because this happened to Corey. He's like his internet went out and he was hopping on his Xbox and he downloaded the game for Game Pass and he couldn't play it because his system wasn't online. Mm-hmm. So you do have that risk. Not saying it's going. It happens once in a while, but it's just like if if something happens and the internet goes down for like two weeks or whatever, uh, you may be able to hotspot for your phone. I don't know. And if you're just a Game Pass member and don't really have anything, you're crap out of luck unless you're watching like Blu-ray. I think that worry though is very less and less valid than it was initially. Rightfully. In 2013, when they were announcing the always online stuff, yes. the reality is that everything's always online. Yeah. Everything is always. Most of your cable, you know, people that, that use cable, like Netflix, all, it's always online. Oh, and um, I understand the concern and the frustration that I would be equally frustrated if I picked up a game and it, that I'd bought and I couldn't access it. Um, but it is a small subset that I think is less less realistic. I mean, PSN went down and for what? Two months in twenty uh, two thousand seven or eight or so, and the the reality is that that's not likely to happen to any of the major groups, yeah, ever again. Um, but I mean, barring disaster. Okay, so before we go, let's just have this gears talk since we already here since it's past an hour. Let's have this gears talk. Uh, we were talking about Gears Five, uh, and we were talking about uh, like the art. And everything about this game. Um, mm-hmm. We're talking about the weapons and stuff, um, and we're going to end it after this gears discussion. But what did you want to say more about it? Because you was just like you was into the conversation. You was about to let me have it. <laughs> I don't remember where where we. Well, let's let's give for for listeners that obviously weren't part of it. The one of the things that we were noting were some of the best visual designs of games for yes. this generation, and we noted that Gears 5, uh, if you play it on a, in 4K on an Xbox One X, is one of the most gorgeous games you'll ever see. I mean, it is up there with God of War, it is up there with Red Dead Redemption 2, mm-hmm. uh, Metal Gear Solid 5 at the time. It's just a beautiful, stunning game. We were noting that, and we think it didn't get enough appreciation visually, probably due to Gears fatigue, most likely, but... One of the things that I, I said about it is that they do a wonderful job in the beginning of that game at dropping you down into a jungle. As you drop into Azura, you see these brilliant greens and the, these uh, incredible, stunning vistas where it's just gorgeous and bright. And then I think they did the game a disservice for all the incredible art design in taking them to landscapes that don't necessarily have the same level of intricacy. You go to a beautiful but empty tundra. You go to a beautiful but empty desert. And those are visually impressive, but there's something special about a jungle. And that's why Uncharted 4 showcased so well, is having that brilliant, green, vibrant jungle. That's why that first level of Gears really made you think you were in for something new and reinvented with Gears and then backed off, and that really frustrated me. Yes, and I I dove more to that, yes, with the tundra and with the desert is that what you see is kind of basic, it's not much, but then when you get into the levels, you get to see the level design, the spookiness. Um, Mm -hmm. There is... um, uh, I think it's in the tundra where you're meeting that doctor and you just, you, you don't realize that 
all this stuff that's underneath the ice and everything. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, wow, this is very detailed and stuff and everything. And because they make those two levels more open world, you you find and explore these new areas. Everything is not level based in a sense. <clears throat> where it's a level it's a level cutscene then goes to the next level. And mm-hmm. so when you look at it in a technical aspect, uh they do a fantastic job when you're in the levels. But when you're on the world and when you're in the world just messing around, it's so basic and it's so generic and stuff. Even mm-hmm. though it is impressive it's still they could have did more and mm-hmm. everything. And I I mentioned, you know, like with the with the I, I brought up the guns and stuff, and I mentioned how Insomniac with Ratchet and Clank that you use half of the guns, and that happens in Gears. And Luke, you brought up Halo, which I completely agree. It's like you use half of the guns, uh, and they want you to switch up the strategy, but sometimes it's just like the strategy is basic. You hide behind something, you pop up a shoot for the gears game for mm-hmm. halo you just you get a gun and you shoot and if you run out of ammunition the enemy that you killed you just get their gun whether it's powerful or not and you just keep shooting so you don't mm-hmm. really have a strategy in there um and we just we were just in this discussion before we actually recorded and it was just like i think there's something about microsoft games that I appreciate some things they do right some things they could work on I don't think they do everything wrong I think there's just things that they could work on and I kind of see that with Nintendo or Sony is that there are things that they do right and things they could work on like like I had a problem with God of War for PS4 beautiful game love the story where they was going but uh I didn't I didn't like the tonality of some of that game. And tonality more as in story beats. Like when uh, 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 Kratos, he goes into this dream or um, it's in this monochromatic and you walk up and you see this gold thing and it looks very cinematic. And uh, Arter- uh, Atreus, it's just like, you left me alone and all of this stuff and yada da. Okay, Dad, we have to go to the next level. I think it's over here. And it's just like the tonality is off. You were just pissed off at your dad. But now you're just like, oh, we got to go to the next level. And it was even with the beginning of God of War where Kratos was mad at his son not being violent. But now that his son wants to be violent, Kratos just like, no, you can't be that way. And it was just like, you just told him to be that way in the last well, 10 what? minutes. I'm I'm confused about the, the the point comparison between the weapons of Gears and Halo. Oh, no, no, saying that they do something uh, with the with the Halo Gears thing. Um, I'm just talking about doing something right and sometimes working on things. Um, you know, Gears they got great weapons and everything, but sometimes uh, like you want to be able to experience more of the weapons, but they don't let you they don't allow you to work on it you know hmm. you know they don't let you use those weapons long enough throughout the whole campaign or throughout the game that's the I, I think when it comes to ammunition and and combating enemy enemies hmm. there's a validity that comes with 
with level design, and as they force you to pick up other enemies' weapons, mm-hmm. I actually don't like that. I prefer, like in Halo, I would prefer to use human weapons the entire time uh, than be forced to pick up Covenant weapons, and that is that is counter to what the level design is telling you to do, which is, you know, once you're out, you pick up a new weapon and you go. And that's meant to imply variety in, in combat types because they're forcing you to try different weapons and, and uh, you know, whether it's the needler and it's explosive stuff or the beam rifle or then the you pick up a DMR, they're trying to get you to explore weapons that way and gameplay that way. Gears does something similar uh with with that aspect and that many of the power weapons have very limited ammo and you only get them for a short uh, burst of time and it's meant to showcase that they're special. Yes. Uh, God of Wars, God of War accomplishes this a bit differently in offering different enemy types mm-hmm. that must be combated through different types of combat. Some of them you need to freeze, some of them you need to have Atreus be more involved in, some of them are, are very large and require... Uh, um, methods and, and an order of operations in order to take down, but I think all three are successful at forcing the player to do something other than move, shoot, and or move and do the same thing over and over again. Yeah. And that is a good thing, uh, but if it's not what you want, then I think you're going to be disappointed no matter who you are or where you're playing because a lot of games employ these type of tactics ratchet and clank you mentioned uh, which is one of the best games ever made this generation uh mario does this in giving you different types of suits and different types of levels so i think that's the the intention with it and whether or not you like it has to do with how much you enjoy the ip and the the weight of what it is you're trying to accomplish in those games. Yeah, and I think with when it comes to level designs in games, is that if you could change the level and really break out that monotone uh, routine that you completely do, it makes the game better in a sense, and it feels better designed. You know, I of course I love Mario. I love the 3D games. I love just anything Mario because I feel like Nintendo. They try, yeah, you got these element worlds or you got these kind of worlds and they try to change it up and offer you something different and everything. So when the difference that they offer you heightens the challenge and stuff, um, God of War, Ratchet and, not, not God of War, more Ratchet and Clank, um, they offer you different powers with the guns and stuff and you work hard to build them up. And depending on what you do with that gun, you'll see the level's the same. It's just what you do with that gun. I kind of feel like Resistance 3 is a better example than Ratchet and Clank. Oh, no. And I would tell you why with Resistance 3, both our assembly. I think the guns in Resistance 3, they're more useful than that. So your strategy is, is that the, you work to build these guns up and you can switch on the fly on what guns really going to work in that fight. And you can switch it up and challenge yourself on using those guns. And I don't think with, I don't think with Halo and Gears, you can really challenge yourself by um, using different guns because they don't offer different guns. You get to that exact same point on any different uh, challenge level, and it's the same thing. I don't agree with that at all. I think Gears and Halo both have tons of weapons 
for you to choose they, from. They, they have weapons, but when you get to that part of the level, you're still choosing those weapons. Meaning that if I'm playing that game on easy, medium, or difficulty, that rifle is still always going to be there. Compared to where if I'm if I'm playing Res, uh, Resistance Three, for example, maybe instead of using a shotgun for this fight that I normally use, maybe I'll use the Scatana blade and let's see what it does on uh, what it does in this game because there's no other weapon there for them dropping. So I have to use change up my strategy with that instead of being forced to use that rifle to do that fight. Let it be known, podcasting world, I do not agree with Edward Varnell on this point. <laughs> I do this not believe our, that is, I'm in agreement with my friend here. This is optional opinion. This is what we do. We give our opinions and we give options. And we don't have to agree on anything. I think what's, <laughs> what makes the conversation fun is that we're having it and we're laughing. And mm-hmm. we are we are giving our viewpoints on something. But the thing about it is just like, like I tell Jesse, we and Jesse and Corey always say, I, and I'm sorry that I keep bringing the, the, those two, is that we could disagree all we want, but the next thing you know, it's just like, hey, I'm going to Taco Bell. What should I get? Get the chicken burrito. <laughs> and I'm just like, okay. And we literally would still laugh and game with each other and still show love. I, trust me, Luke, I love you. I am hi- I'm ha- I'm having you. I love sending you questions. I love... I, I just love it because it's just like we get to talk and we get to nerd out about games and everything, regardless of what we say or what we think. As long as you're having fun doing what you do and playing, as long as I'm having fun, if I see you buying something and you're excited or you got an interview and stuff, I I throw up my fans like I'm in spirit to the way or something and I celebrate because you get to do something within games and have fun and learn and then enjoy and that's the same thing with me trust me see if these came out and me and jesse we order beer mugs for it nice so we we was gonna have some grug uh and play see of these and we did and it was this to be fun because uh, we were excited about that and it was just like th- like i said i support nintendo the same way i support microsoft and sony i go out and buy their first party or their third party or whatever because i want to play games with everybody and really celebrate it that's what kind of what the beat of video games is it's celebrating the goodness not everything may not gel with me but i'm getting that experience i expanded my horizons and Maybe it might not be for me at that time, but then I come back and be like, wow, this game was good. And now I understand why everybody loved it or everybody thought certain ways of it. Trust me. You might think Ratchet and Clank is the best PS4 game. Corey thinks Corey says it's a rising zero down. I say it's the last guardian for PS4. I know the best, best PS4 game is God of War. Ratchet and Clank's up there, though. <laughs> God of War is good. God of, God of War is really good. I think the last guardian holds over God of, uh, God of War for me. For me. For me. (laughs) (sighs) Uh, For me. That's all I say. It's for me. Okay. No, hey, you're good. You're good. Uh, My voice gets more high pitched. (laughs) (laughs) It's fine. You're good. You're good. Trust me, Mitchell Powell was just Friday screaming uh, because I told him, uh, he he asked me what was the worst game I ever bought, and I told him Grand Theft Auto 5. What? My name is Luke Law. I host the Xbox. <laughs> <laughs> uh, All right, man. Let's get out of here. I got to yes. go get some lunch. 
Okay. Uh, but Luke, do go ahead and plug. Oh, uh, okay. So, uh, obviously, I'm Luke Lore. You can find me on Twitter at InsipidGhost. Uh, I host the weekly podcast called the Xbox Expansion Pass, which is an analytical look at the gaming verse and news in the gaming verse. As it pertains to the Xbox ecosystem, I often have guests on from around the industry, guests like uh, Sissy Jones, the voice actress behind uh, Delilah and Firewatch, and uh, Fury from uh, Darksiders 3. I have guests on like Tatiana Delgado, the director of the upcoming game Call of the Sea, and Jeremy Gritton, the art and story lead for Ori and the Will of the Wisps 2. Uh, anytime you guys are able to uh, subscribe to a podcast on any service, you'll find the Xbox Expansion Pass, and it would mean the world if you guys would do that. Uh, and then let me know on Twitter what you guys think of it. Yeah, it's fantastic. He already knows what I think because I love his work, and uh, I love every time, even outside the questions, I just love your personality and your positivity, and just, I look. We may think different. You probably <laughs> just like, ah, Eddie, Eddie, I can't believe. But I still support you and I always will support you. I love you, bro. You're just amazing. Um, you guys can find uh, Optional Opinion on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, and other podcast apps. You can check me on Bosch Rush Podcast, World 1 1 Podcast, and on uh, 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 Nintendo Power Block for. Uh, for those podcasts um you can find me on twitter at that retro code um and you can also check out uh just various contests on brush rush games on youtube like our 1v1 um our uh retro game show and other stuff and what's on game pass uh that's with jesse and Corey. they play various games on game pass and um uh, hopefully i could play some with them if I got that game <laughs> just saying uh, but thank you again Luke for coming on go have a good lunch everybody have a great week have a great weekend and we'll obviously see you next time on Optional Opinion bye everybody <laughs>